So this evening's podcast is podcast number 30 of Hoarding Stuff or Hoarding Stuff, depending on which way you're looking at it and listening to it. And so there's me, Heather and Dave, as usual. Mm. But tonight we're talking to Luigi Chambarella, who um, does a lot of supervision work with me and is also a bit of a brain nerd if i can call you that if that's okay is he a genius and brain genius that's that's a better one a brain genius and um because we are very close to brain awareness week and so i Mm. thought i'd invite luigi to give us a little insight into um how brains work and what's going on in the brain when we are holding on to things or gathering things or not able to let go of things mm. um, and not not necessarily realising that it's um, brain activity that's got a lot to do with that. So I'll shut up because I'm not a brain. I am a brain. I would have been a brain nerd, but I um, I only know the vaguenesses of it. So I'm going to hand over to To be fair, we've, we've, we've got brains. I think. Yeah. We? I mean, <laughs> there's no manual that comes with it. Or Quite anything, likely. But... It's quite likely that you have brains. So I hope yeah. so. I do, you're right, boss, though. But... You're right, though. We should have a manual mm. um, to to learn how to. This is a lot of the things I'm trying to put together at the moment. Are exactly that is how do we drive our brains? You know, we have to pass a test to drive a car. Yeah. Um, but nobody really gives us brain driving instructions. So. Um, perhaps uh, well, we'll have a little bit of that There's lots of, of techniques to do it. There's lots of different ways of looking at the brain and, and uh, helping people that are having problems with their brains, but it's not, it tends to have to be quite unique for each brain and it's not something you find in schools very much, you know. Or no, you don't find it in schools at education. all. And I think it would be no. good. Yeah. And, and, you know, what? one of the, I mean, everybody's brain is unique um, mm. because, you know, the, there's this complex interplay between what we are born with and and that's the the innate drivers and the genetic tendency epigenetics deciding which genes to switch on and off and all that kind of stuff um and then so part of it is is nature you you were born with a particular configuration and the brain is designed to learn a lot of things and listen out for particular sounds and it's got access to every type of sound available on the planet and then it's shaped by the environment as well. So then it starts to prune down so that it can become efficient and effective in that environment and hone itself to that environment. So there's this back and forth um, between nature and nurture, which shapes the brain and makes it very unique. So your brain is absolutely honed for the environment in which you were raised and the environment in which you find yourself right now. So Alan Watts talks about Mm -hmm. us as tubes and he says we take an experience and we take in knowledge and then we put it out again right Mm -hmm. and and that is then uh kind of processed by other people and we go through a whole process of that through society yeah I mean to be honest I'm a bit of a constipated tube which is is never very comfortable but um we do that don't we? we we a lot of the things that we think are part of our brain have come from other people and other places and you know this kind of socialization and stuff so i'm never sure when i have a thought 
is that really my thought? Is that my brain or is it somebody else's brain hijacking me? It's a, it's a great question. I mean, you know, as a as a psychotherapist, I'm always asking that question and inviting my clients to ask that question of themselves. You know, whose voice is that? Um, because, you know, we've acquired beliefs and values and, and we have values, but values can be hijacked. You know, so we can we can uh, be shaped by culture and religion and society mm. as to how those values need to um, manifest themselves and be expressed. So it, it absolutely a valid point there, David, about you know really examining uh, whose whose thought is this? Do I align with it? And and it might be that it came from somebody else. It might come from a parent or a teacher, um, and you go, oh, that's where it came from. They were the first ones that said it. Do I agree with that? Mm. now because it might be the case that you had to agree with it when you were a kid because you just took it in and because our brains the main goal of the brain really well what keep you alive how does it do that by predicting your day predicting the future so a lot of what the brain is actually working on is prediction it's taking Mm -hmm. the information of today is comparing it to the information of yesterday and it's saying how likely is this going to be encountered tomorrow and if if it finds information that's uh not particularly relevant to that then it requires a lot of effort to actually retain that information um and so it's going to be pruning things that are useful for your survival for the most part so i'd say and, there's a lot of stuff that goes in in my head that is not necessarily survival right but it's been put in there as a kind of like one of my things is is value right Mm-hmm. Do I give value to the world? Do I do? Am I being meaningful and useful? Right, that's part of the kind of programming that goes on in my head. I have no idea because I just go, well, how do you prove that? I don't mm-hmm. know. And my brain just goes around and around and around. Is that yeah. common? Well, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And I would say that that is about survival, um, because mm. when we say, "Am I putting something of value?" Then it's kind of at the at the core level of the brain, it's does this mean that I'm going to be in an in-group or an out-group? Does this mean that I get to stay inside the cave or am I going to be cast out? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, th- this thing here evolved in its current configuration, what, 100,000 years ago plus? You know, it hasn't changed very much in that time. So a lot of what this this brain is focused on, not this specific... You can also explain word. what it is because they can't That's a brain. This is a model brain, just in case you're only hearing this. Uh, uh, Yeah, if you've seen a video, it makes sense. But um, so this, yeah, a brain, what this is kind of what's inside your head. It kind of looks a bit like that, right? So your eyes are at the front end here. I know it's a bit weird, but that's what's in there. And and this has stayed in its current configuration since we were in caves and and in tribes and so on. Um, So a lot of what this is trying to do is, is keep us alive. And then this prefrontal area, this this what's called the prefrontal cortex came along. And this is all about like executive planning and the sense of self as we have it now. And it kind of sends a lot of inhibitory information back through the rest of the brain to say, you know, maybe I'm not getting along with Heather. And that part of my brain is saying, okay, well, maybe you might want to get an axe now. And then that, my frontal... That, is that not the lizard part of the brain? That's the lizard part, right. You right. know, uh, so you say, maybe we just need to club David to death. 
that would get him out the way. Right. A good idea, actually. My, a great idea. You know, yeah, but, it, you know, this is where the frontal lobe comes in and then creates yeah. all these societal rules and so on. That says, you know what? I think we can talk this through. Um, might not be the best idea to get that club. Yeah, or that act. Yeah. So yeah. Th- this is a late invention uh, mm. for the brain. And it's what kind of gets us into trouble in a way, not the frontal part, but the, the fact that it's a late invention because those other structures get the information first and right. then it goes out the other way. So our rea- we, we, we are feeling creatures first and yeah. then we're thinking creatures. Mm. And this because we have examples, don't we? Of, um, loads of them. One of my favourites is Phineas Gage. Yes. Right. Poor old Phineas uh, Gage. He turns up in every single book, bless him. With a, that tamping down at the railroad with a spike going through his head and taking his frontal lobe out yeah. and, and changing his behaviour. Yeah. And, and you know, the, there's mixed things about that because, you know, sometimes they say they, they took out sort of certain emotional centres of the brain and so he, mm. he was quite irritable. I think, you know, having a massive rod through your face... Um, it doesn't make you happy, does might it? not, you know, <laughs> losing sight in one eye, you know, yeah. probably yeah. didn't wasn't particularly conducive to happy, warm feelings going forward. So I'm not sure (laughs) on the the data on that one. But, you know, it's a good example to say, look, you know, we can, I mean, the fact that he stayed alive through that is amazing Mm. in and of itself. But, um, you know, we we know that certain um, areas of the brain, when there's certain damage, usually through um, dementias, for instance, um, Uh uh, they're, they're the most typical way that we start to see um, uh, changes in mood and emotional processing and so on, because, you know, there's some people who feel really frightened as they're older because they think that there's somebody in the room there that nobody else can see, you know, and, and they're becoming suspicious about people taking their things, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the, the, uh, as, as there isn't that frontal area allowing the critical analysis um, and other connections between different brain regions, then we start to tip back into this kind of more survival mode, more primitive mode of survival, right. um, because that's the first thing that we need to take care of. And, and you see this in the, in the stress response, you know, so there's the fight or flight response that, um, that most of us are aware of. Um, and, and, you know, the stress uh, as defined here is, is the experience of a threat to one's well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, which gives rise to psychological reaction to prepare us for fight or flight. So that, that's essentially what I'm uh, defining as stress here. And, you know, what, what, what happens in a stressful situation, whether it's um, environmental or psychological, is that there are a bunch of hormones and physiological changes. So this is all about perception. You know, mm, it doesn't necessarily yeah. even mean that there is that threat there. It's like, what am I perceiving? So if, if, if that frontal area has an issue communicating that this isn't actually a threat, that's just somebody smiling at you, but I'm seeing teeth and I'm thinking, oh, it's it's aggressive, mm. then this cascade of emotions and psychological changes are going to take place. And it's a survival mechanism in all mammals. Um, and we've got that, you know. So in that manual, that would be like the first thing I'd stick in there to say, look, you're going to mm. have uh, responses that are really strong uh, physiological responses, almost instantaneous, uh, they're designed to be so that you can uh, uh, flee or fight off or, uh, you know, get to safety in some way. And and your body can can uh, overly react and then 
when when that information gets to the frontal areas, you're going to be colluding with that if you don't know what you're doing. Right. So normally what happens is this physiology arises. I'm feeling tense. I'm feeling stressed. Why? And then you then you go looking for trouble. Ah, it's because of this thing. It's because of that person. It's because of what they said. Oh, I didn't do this and so on. And and so that then becomes the validator, validating part and the cascade. That, that becomes quite happens. difficult if somebody's helping you decluttering because oh gosh you yeah. the the stress will happen and you'll place the stress on what they're doing yeah yeah and they'll become the enemy kind of thing i guess yes um and you know what what i what i want to um emphasize here is that uh when you look at the top 5 uh stresses um or you know even take take top 15 you know, or top 10, whatever. Okay, death of a spouse is probably number one. Divorce is usually second. Uh, or death of a close member of the family. Personal injury or illness is usually in the top five. Getting married is in the top yeah, five. Yeah, and yeah. and changing job is usually in the top 10. Now, some for some people, getting divorce is a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. It's like, yes, I'm free. You ain't free. But it's you still know, big. But it's still, it's still massive, but it's a big it? change. Yeah. So change is the element, not the actual what you attach to it. Get you know, getting married is usually seen as a good thing uh, for mm-hmm. at the time <laughs> for the people who are getting married. Um, get get it changing job usually is moving home uh, usually is you know so so these are uh, being pregnant usually is. But these are seen as like in the top ten stresses because these are the things that mean that you're be going a bit to be horrified changing. if I was pregnant. To be fair, I think that would really um, stress me out. If I was, <laughs> there was a kid, there was a kid on one of the groups we worked with, and she kept coming up to me for two days, poking my belly and go, "You have baby, you have baby." So, so, so that's it a stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's a and it's and if the frontal lobe wasn't online there to really right. say, you know, I can't get pregnant, then then maybe if you were just purely in that that mammalian reptilian type territory, you'd say, "Am I pregnant?" And yeah. you'd go and I'm check just going over out. here to lay me eggs. Is that <laughs> all right? I'm just gonna. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's that's the point though. You know that that. Uh, stress isn't about you know uh, positive and negative events. It's mm. about how much of that change is perceived as as uh, too much or too little or whatever. You know, because actually, too little activity can lead to stress. If we're bored, then that's a stressful event. You know, so stagnant jobs and and you know nothing changes. You know, mm. why am I in this relationship? Kind of thing. That that is a, a major source of stress as well. Um, so, so it's it's about activation here, and and so it, as you're saying, you know, if if you're trying to change anything in your environment, if it's been like that for a while, that will bring about the stress response that is purely physiological, and then it's your choice whether you let your frontal areas of your brain collude with that or not. So you can actually talk the rest of your brain into calming down. And and that's really what a lot of therapy is, really. You know, it's mm-hmm. a sort of say to yourself, um, yeah, I am having these feelings and I allow those feelings to be there. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing this because, you know, won't it be great when we get to that next stage? And you won't know what that's like yet because it hasn't happened. 
And that's the thing about the brain. It can really change. It can reset the baseline each time. Because, it, you know, when we get out of a stressful situation, we don't go few amount of that stressful situation. We're usually looking on to the next thing. And yeah, so if we yeah. feel safe in this moment, we'll go, yeah, but it wasn't safe before. So it's probably not going to be safe next time. You know, we, we so when we can really come into the present and get realistic appraisal, then we can start to dampen down that response. And Sorry, as well, no. as well, I think um, we often say change is uncomfortable, but if you fit, if you, because you've also got to learn what that discomfort feels like. And sometimes like Dave just described it, it feels like, leave me alone, get out my life, you're getting on my nerves. But actually that, that discomfort, if you can recognize it for what it is, is a good thing because it means change is happening. And so for the people that we work with who want change, but then are like, oh, I didn't know that it would be like this. Or it's like, this is a good sign. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing. Ride it, trust it, like you said. Yeah. And yeah. you will get somewhere different. But this is a sign it's working. Whereas if you're not feeling anything, nothing's changing. So it's well, not working. You know? what, what, what I'll add to that is that stress is the word that we tend to jump to. But mm -hmm. the, there's kind of two two angles to that and it depends on um how you interpret again frontal areas how you interpret those signals those hormonal signals those physiological changes in the body so to give you an example there's a word distress which is the one that we tend to say is negative and then there's new stress which is actually the positive side of stress so the right. positive side of stress so if i take you david and i push you out of a plane You'll probably have this. You've distress. done it in for me, haven't you? Right. You can club me um, to death. Yeah, and throw I know, me out of planes. I'm just checking. I'm just checking the physiology and how you interpret it. Right. He so Heather's got an axe. You're going to love just... this. You're going to love this bit. Right? right. So, so if you didn't want that, then you'll experience distress. Yeah. However, there are people who deliberately jump themselves out of planes. Mm. So if I was to say, "Hey, David, let's jump out of this plane. We both got parachutes, and we're going to try out a new experience." You are going to experience physiologically exactly the same as you would have done if I'd have pushed you out. Yeah. Maybe with some thoughts about I'm going to get that guy if I survive this, right? Yep. yep. Two, wow, this is fun. And I wanted to do that. And I paid for that in most cases. So, you know, when you right. think of some people who Sorry. put themselves in stressful situations, you go, oh my God, I would never do that. Well, think of right. every competitive <laughs> sport. You know, you do that because actually there's excitement. So excitement and new stress are kind of the same thing. You know, there's a physical uh, sensation to that. And that change uh -huh. is interpreted as something positive. This is something that's going to lead to something else. And I think the difference between the two is what the imagined future is. Mm. With distress, the imagined future is something tragic. I'm going to die. It's never going to be the same again. It's mm. going to be even worse, blah, blah, blah. So actually, your imagination is doing you a disservice. In the case of you, stress, that imagination of the future is something really positive. Won't it be great? God, I can, I can imagine how beautiful it will be when I'm flying out, free-falling, and I can see all around me before I launch that parachute, whatever it is. Yeah? So the, the, it's, it's that interpretation. And remember that with stress, there's always an imaginative component. Because mm. otherwise, you wouldn't have stress. You'd actually have a fight-or-flight situation. You're actually right, being assaulted, right. in which case you need to fight or you need to run. How do you get a balance between the two? 
Um, what, well, what do you mean? What, why would, well, what in, in terms for? of um, a more comfortable space that is neither stress, due stress or distress. Is there, is there a central place yeah. where... There, there is... Yeah, th yeah, there is. And, and th this is where, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned what's before, but, you know, meditation mindfulness is really useful. Mm. I, I get in that because what that does is it doesn't say go to the future and, and have a goal with it, which would lead you to the understanding of, of new stress or distress, but come into the present moment right mm. now where you can actually do something because the present is the only time that you can do something. What's it like? What's actually going on? right now in the here and now and if that requires an appropriate response of some sort of reaction to an environment then fine but you can make that appropriately about now but usually that isn't what's required uh, so we can just chill out hmm. you know just sit back just observe what's going on in this moment all is well and is that is that true you know it's like well am i under siege right now no no you know somebody removed something moved something from my house you know, was it at gunpoint? No. Okay, then I don't need to respond in any sort of way right now. So that's why um, meditation, especially mindfulness, is particularly popular right now because it says, what, are, what am I actually observing in this moment? And mm. without judging it, without having a preference. So it isn't about going towards you stress and say, oh, there's a negative thing. Let me go to a positive. No, don't do that. Just come to neutral. What's happening right now? So that is the middle way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, I think the, mid, the, the, the midway is a place of safety. It, 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 so meditation take can be the place of safety. Mm -hmm. But if you want sort of what is the aim, if you like, for this, nobody's ever going to be in a place of safety always because that's just not possible. We're not, and that's not good for you either. Stress, no. like Luigi said, is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. It serves us, but it's when it gets to be the boss if you like and it mm -hmm. although it thinks it's helping you it isn't always it's a bit yeah. like a fussy old aunt that's gone no this is really good for you you honestly you'll see and then it just gets too big for its boots and it, well, so it needs you need to to also learn a couple of tricks to go mm, i know what's happening here well usually check in. sorry that, that that voice is usually judging you in some way it's actually mm. saying you're limited it's like, oh, no, you can have that because you're not capable of doing something different. So just stick with what you know. Is that true? Probably not. You know, um, where do we learn that? We probably learned it quite early on. You know, when you're talking about the, the sense of safety, the, there's many studies based on attachment theory. You know, Bowlby was doing this, Mary Ainsworth and so on many, many moons ago. And, and they talk about um, secure attachments. And what you observe in a, in a child uh, who's securely attached is this they'll be in a room with uh, a parent or a guardian, whoever's looking after them, raising them, and they will go off and play. Mm -hmm. And a securely attached child will go off and play, but then will turn around, look for the parent, look for the whoever's raising them. Are you still there? Yep. And carry on. So it's not always having to include that person who provides them with a sense of safety. It's just, have you got my back? Yeah, I've got your back. Okay, carry on. And they'll just go and explore. They'll interact with other people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. th those other people will respond in a way that frightens them because they say, and they start waving at them, oh, that's too much. And they retreat back to the, the, the uh, parental figure. But then they'll just go back out again. 
So this idea that we're like testing, is this environment safe? Yeah. Can I go even further from the base? Yeah, because there's a strong base camp. It's always mm-hmm. there if I look over my shoulder and I keep exploring. What tends to happen with the idea of safety is that we need to find a base camp and stay in it permanently. That doesn't yeah. feel safe to me. From a survival mechanism, that's a terrible idea because it means that you're going to run out of resources. You know, from a brain yeah, position, yeah. you're saying, hang on a minute, let's stay in the cave permanently. Well, unless you're very dull, isn't it? It's going to be what, really dull. What happens to a yeah. child who doesn't have that secure bond that they feel that they're safe? They can look out the shoulder and there's nobody there. Yeah, to, or it's inconsistent, you know, that, that yeah. the, the, the response. Um, yeah, what tends to happen is they have what's referred to as an insecure attachment. Um, yeah. So they can either feel very anxious because it's like, well, hold on a minute. Um, are you going to be here? You're not. Um, have you got my back? Have you not? If you're running out, um, you know, you're in, in a war zone situation and you go, OK, man, let's charge. And you all charge. And actually, you find that you're the only one who ran forward. You're not going to feel safe. Right. So, um, yeah, um, it's a bit like that. Right. So you're going to be thinking, I'm going a minute. No, you go first. I'm not sure. So the relationship that you have with those around you, then, is this kind of ambivalence. It's like I, I, I'm not sure I need you around because that provides me with some safety, but I'm not sure mm. that you're consistent enough to meet my needs. So that then either we we become really possessive of people or we become uh, um, you know re- rejective of them. Um, oh, and we say, you know what, I'm going to do all of this on my own. Yeah, and and you yeah. get the fierce independence then, or you can get a fierce dependence. I better cling to you to make sure that you don't go away, because because if you do, I don't know whether you're coming back or not. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on really tight, and you know sometimes we see this in in. Um, you know, relationships, and it can be with objects, but it can certainly be with people where people say, mm-hmm. you know, they're in an environment, and they say, well, I'm going to hold on to you because I know I know you're consistent. And even if you're consistently a pain to me, I know that. So I can work with consistency because we want consistency for the most part. But that's that's more comfortable than saying, you know what, I know that that's not good for me. I'm going to reject it. And I'm going to leave open the possibility of something new. So with that consistency that you've got, you've got the more security. And I might be wrong on this, but you have a sense of being able to self-soothe, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not feeling at risk. I don't know necessarily if somebody doesn't have that secure thing. Um, It's only something that that I learned about recently that I don't think I've got techniques for self-soothing. Jane, my housemate, doesn't have them. Um, because they they weren't presented as a secure kind of environment to, to grow up in. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so self-soothing is something that we need to learn about. And, and you know, not everybody uh, adopts uh, particularly useful behaviours, um, some that can be very, very uh, limiting. You know, so typical way that people self-soothe um, when, they, when they don't have uh, a secure attachment is that they'll usually use some sort of substance. Yeah. Um, so substance yeah. abuse is uh, a, a, a tragic uh, um, expression of, of self-soothing. Um, but that, that can also work in terms of like overeating um, mm-hmm. or eating loads of junk, for instance, and, and things that you know aren't great for you, That things that you'll regret afterwards. But the reason, if you do something that soothes you that in the moment, but you regret afterwards and you judge yourself afterwards, what's happening there is 
your your old brain, the reptilian brain, needs that safety. You've gone mm-hmm. to it, you've met that need, and then in that time, the signal has finally got to the frontal area of your brain, and that's the bit that analyzed the situation and said that wasn't a great idea. So the judgment comes at that point, right? So whatever mm. it is, you know, it's like excess drugs, alcohol, uh, consuming porn on the internet, um, you know, just really immersing yourself in in uh, sports, for instance, where you're absolutely aggressive to the opposition. You know, mm. these are all strategies of of meeting that. So that we, need. are we getting a chemical hit? Is that what we're getting there? Very, very much that? so. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. And some of those, are, 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 you know, they, they just, well, it's better than nothing, mm. you know. So we know that it's not great, but what else do you do? So so those messages about stop doing that aren't particularly useful. You know, you don't take a smoker and say, stop smoking. And they go, well, let's let's dig into that a little bit. You know, what is it, what, what need is that actually meeting? Then, of course, you know, habits can form over time and the need is that I've just always done it, you know. But there's usually a soothing need in that. So, well, wh- yeah. why are you doing that? And and then is there another way of meeting that need in some way that is maybe less destructive to you? So we don't. So the idea of just saying, yeah, stop, isn't particularly great for the brain. You know, what we need to do is replace usually to sort of say, okay, well, yeah, this is what I'm doing right now, but how can I do that and better? Um, so with acquiring, right, that, that's very similar, I think, to the cigarettes and the... Mm-hmm. drink and the porn and, and whatever else but I've never been able to find a way of going right if I don't do this I'll do this instead I haven't found a mechanism to be able to replace it you know I mean the, the thing with people that smoke to then go and eat loads of sweeties you know and put on loads of weight uh it doesn't yeah. help I've never really found a way of kind of transferring it over to something that might be more useful and healthy well it, it's, it's, it's not, not about replacing a behavior with another behavior so right. it's, it's about replacing that behavior with perhaps a feeling ah, um okay. so th- this is where you know it's like well what do i actually need to do to directly meet the need because what i'm doing isn't actually meeting the need it's distracting me from the need that's often yeah. the case so for instance the the the, the client that i have that's addicted to um, uh, internet porn really uh-huh. wants human connection. Well, you're not going to get that from videos yeah. on the internet, but it feels like it is that at the time. And it's like, well, right. no, you're not really connecting with them, are you? You know, um, cigarettes, you know, they, they, they might feel like they're meeting a need for soothing you in some way, but it's actually doing a lot of damage and you can feel that. So part of you is already aware that that isn't right. You know, and, and, and eating junk is going to do the same. Collecting things is going to do the same. It feels like I'm protecting myself and gathering things. Well, that isn't it. You know, so so what is the need? And, yeah. and how can I, what would I feel like if I had that need met? What would that be like? That will then help you to identify actual behaviors, thoughts, and, and so on that will align with actually having that need met. I think it's interesting because I'm not sure whether it ties in with the idea of the lonely brain, right? That people feel lonely, as you say, and they'll, they'll try and make this connection, which is, I don't know, it just doesn't work. It's there's no, it's like having a telephone exchange, isn't it? And being put through to the wrong people on this telephone exchange, or if you get a line at all, you know. It, so how do we deal with that? How do we give people something 
not not the the, the behaviors you say but in terms of thinking and is mindfulness enough for that mindfulness is not enough um because what that's doing is it's helping you to get a realistic appraisal of your situation Mm-hmm. And mindfulness on its own, actually, without the context that, because remember that mindfulness is, it came out of a whole system, you know, yeah. a, a, a meditative tradition where it's only one element. And unfortunately, mm. it's become coloring books now, totally divorced of, of all of that uh, um, understanding. Context. Yeah, the context. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. you have, you have uh, uh, articles, for instance, saying that mindfulness can be negative for a bunch of people, whether it's 20, 25% of people that can lead to negative experiences. But when you look at what those negative experiences are, it's actually raised awareness. Yeah. yeah. Because that's the goal of mindfulness is putting a spotlight on your situation and saying, how am I right now? Yeah. Without judging it, let's just take stock. This is the situation. It's not saying do anything, but remember without preference or judgment is an element observing without preference or judgment is the definition of mindfulness. So if I observe without preference or judgment, then I can get a realistic appraisal of where I am. These are the sorts of thoughts that often come into my awareness. Oh, you again, you know, and these thoughts come and go and come mm-hmm. and go, and you can get an appraisal of that without following them. But we live in a world, we live where we make choices, where we have to have judgment and preference. Otherwise, you know, if I was taking Heather out to a restaurant and she's in a mindful mode and I say, what would you like to eat? I have no judgment or preference. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're I'm taking you Heather out to a restaurant. restaurant, right? You throw me out of a plane, you hit me with an axe, you hit me. No, no, I, I don't was even hit. Know. No, no, Heather got hit with the axe. I got the axe. You got axe. hit with a club. I've been, oh, I've been dead for yeah. ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been gone. No. I haven't even got a head. Yeah, yeah. So now I thought, well, you know, yeah. Yeah, take her out for a meal. So I might as well take you out for a meal to compensate, right? So this is a healthy relationship, that I have. Um, but you know, you, you you would be a nightmare to take out if you if you yeah. uh, didn't make choices. But the, the the key there is is you raise awareness, you get a realistic appraisal of where you are, and then you respond appropriately. So respond responding appropriately is the next step. So th- yeah. this is where it's really important to really be clear about where you are right now and 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 where you, you think you would like to go, and then to evaluate that as you go, because there's a feedback mechanism to that. So what, what tends to happen is that, um, you know, something feels okay, and I say, okay, I'll, I'll either stick to that or try something else out, and then that doesn't feel so safe. Oh, okay, so the thing that's stuck okay is the only option available to me. Yeah. Is yeah. that true? I mean, really... You know, that, that sounds like uh, um, a massively non-creative mindset. And, you know, they've done studies that five-year-olds or pre-five-year-olds, yep. when they give them a problem and they say, they say, come up with a bunch of um, solutions so, yeah. to this problem, how could it be solved? 98% mm-hmm. of those five-year-olds respond as a genius level. Yes. Right? So... Yeah. Every every under five year old pretty much is a genius. I mean, literally but a genius. We lose but, it. I... By the time we get to adult, because we're told this is how you're supposed to answer these sorts of questions, we start to filter that out massively. Actually, by the time you get to, I think, some early adolescence or something, it drops to about ten percent. When you get into adulthood, it's yeah. dropped below one percent. I worked with I worked with kids that were younger, f- 
five to eight and they were great yeah you know, they came up with all sorts of stuff but as soon as they hit 10 11 12 they're like oh, yeah no, it just no, drops no, off no. totally yeah. drops off i've got a, um something to ask you though that, that with this this is throwing you under the bus a bit it's the brick can you come up with three different ways of using a brick that isn't using it as a brick i can't doorstop would be quite useful yeah weapon. What did you oh, say? for a goodness weapon. sake, Heather. <laughs> We're in that mode. Look, we've had clubs well, no, and no, well, that, that is, that is as, as a brick. Um, as, as um, you know, th this is this is the Italian in me coming out, right? Right. Where you, you have it so that you can um, make a a, uh, a fire, you know, for a wood oh, fire, right. pizza oven. Uh, right, yeah, get things, yeah. Get things yeah. Uh, propped up on bricks. I went with, with, with bookcase. Okay. Um but I wouldn't do it again because somebody came around to my house and was in a one of those chairs that moves around the Swivel. everything just went. Yeah, it's horrible. That's that's probably not the best. Temporary. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I've I've gone through. I, I I used to live quite near um, um, Moss Side in Manchester, and bricks were often used to replace tires as well. Um, so oh God! Probably those. <laughs> Is that? Yeah. <laughs> That, um, I don't think that'll move so much, but yeah, that is some uh, as a, a car Heather, stand. <laughs> Heather, I've got to ask. There, there was uh, I can't remember who it was now who had the the railway sleepers. Who was that? Can you remember? Oh yes, no, it was a story about. Um, it was a, a colleague of mine. It wasn't my client. I think this was in the seventies. This happened, but mm. so got called to a high rise block of flats to, um, he, he's a social worker, but he writes books for social workers now and he's an academic. Yeah. Got called to this um, job and this gentleman was happily um, gathering building materials, but mostly railway sleepers in his high rise flat, which was like in the middle of a block of flats and um, very, very full, obviously, uh, if there was a fire, they would have burnt. They're also full of yeah. arsenic, I think, original. Oh, God. You know, so For they're the very treatment. Anyway. Yeah. So um, when they got talking to him, they asked him about it. And he said, oh, no, I know. He said, I know what's happened to me, really, but I just couldn't not do it. And he, he said when he was a kid, he used to, he was in, in the war. There was just him and his mum because his dad was fighting. Right. And his mum used to say every time they were in London, every time there was a, a an air raid and it, it was all clear, she'd send him out to find something useful. And she did it on purpose so that he wouldn't be scared of the bombs. He'd like look forward okay. yeah. to being the man of Just the house or exploring. whatever. Exploring. Yeah. Yes. And he yeah. always came back with something and she'd praise him and he felt really useful. And, uh, you know, so yeah. he said, this is my go to when I'm not very happy. And he said, we... Um, I'm retired and my wife retired the same time as me. We had all these uh -huh. plans and then she died. And right. I didn't want to do all the plans on my own. So he said, I think I just needed to be useful again. So he said, this is me being useful. But the happiest ending to that story was somebody that didn't go, oh, well, it's all got to go. It's dangerous, yeah. which it was. Yeah. They said, would you, would you let somebody else have a few of your railway sleepers if they were going to be put to a good use and he went of course I would mm. and so they said well come with us and we'll show you where you'd like them to go and it was a charity that made kids playground stuff out of railway sleepers and he not only gave them a few he gave them all the ones he'd got 
and he carried on sourcing them for him. It's brilliant, isn't it? So yeah, that's a perfect story what? because if you put it from the brain perspective, he understood his behaviour when questioned, but I couldn't could, stop uh, it. And I could do with um, some of that wood because I've destroyed this chair with my arse. I have oh literally destroyed this chair with my big fat bottom. I mean, in fairness, that doesn't really look like it had much material in it. No, um, it's very no. flimsy. That's, that's that's why that's quite light on on the uh, on the wood. But that, that isn't even wood. That. That's compressed the, the, the framework can now be made into a puppet theatre. Like it, yeah, yeah. There you so go. is that what you're going to do? You could put you could put no, a plant pot in it and and let yeah. it grow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But there are always uses to be found. But yes, so that 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 guy he had his nervous system, if you like, was reassured by redirecting yeah. his soothing behaviour yeah. to make it work for him rather than work against him. And, and to me, that's the perfect story. If you can... So what you were saying, Dave, is what can I find that will mm. work for me? Well, you do do things that work for you, where you I'm tell doing, stories more now. with the children, <laughs> you do... I'm doing one now. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, you are. Just, exactly. The usefulness, though, is, is an interesting thing. Meaning and usefulness, I think. Mm -hmm. Purpose. So, Having yeah. a purpose. Yeah. yeah, very much so. What what he did, though, was aligned with, with that usefulness. And, and mm. you know, so, so then when there's another uh, option... But you see, he, he had the presence of mind to say, there's a new solution available to me. Yeah. You know, and, and to, to trust that. Um, and he, which he might did not feel trust comfortable. It. Well, he probably felt really uncomfortable at first, but I think he was probably very often I've seen when the option is greater than the need to soothe and sell what's going on, mm -hmm. then so sometimes that option can be very negative. It can be the threat of eviction, it can be the threat of child removal. That's not necessarily a nice one, but it no, overrides no. the fear of that is greater than the fear of letting go. And wow. so, with help and support, it can work. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you, it's it's finding it's finding something that soothes that doesn't harm. But when mm -hmm. I say harm, harm in in the sense that it's going to cause issues down the line. So collections are great if they're managed. But if they go on forever, unless you have the biggest house in the world or a self-generating set of warehouses, at some point you're going to be full. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's yeah. what I mean by harm. It's not direct harm, but it can be future harm. Mm -hmm. So how shall we sum up then? Because we've come sort of come to the end. So for Brain Awareness Week, yeah. what would you say is a summation of our brain, Luigi? A summation of the brain. Um, yeah. Well, in, in, in terms of what we've been discussing. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so your brain's trying to predict reality. It's constructing it and it's predicting it. So we don't have access to anything out there that isn't mediated by our brains. We create meaning. We create our reality in that sense. Everybody's going to perceive things differently. So first of all, just be aware that you are part of a, a creative process. You are always doing something. You are co-creating your reality. Um, and, and your brain is, is the, the tool that you're using for that. When it comes to confronting perceived uh, dangers, then your brain will always go towards something that is like, hold on a minute, uh, is this a threat to my life or not? 
That's that's the first part of your brain that gets the signal to appraise whether it's something edible or something that is going to try to kill you, um, and and something you can mate with. You know, those are the kind of three things that that come in. Hopefully, you don't combine all three. Um, <laughs> and then, so that information is coming into the the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. Before and then that interprets the images and the sounds and so on, and it perceives danger at that point possibly, and it sends a, a, an instantaneous signal to the the um, the hypothalamus, uh, not to be confused with the hippopotamus, and this mm-hmm. is the command center of your brain. So that's going to communicate to the rest of your body through the um, the nervous system um, whether you need to fight, fly, or just stay put, um, and that's going to happen. That's going to happen with almost every event that you encounter. So it's it's like you know you turn the ignition on and the the engine revs. That's the baseline. Mm-hmm. But what you do with your frontal lobe is is that belongs to you. You know that you can't blame your ancestors a hundred thousand years ago. That frontal lobe will get that signal. It might take ninety seconds before that signal gets there. So just play for time, and then. From that point, get a realistic appraisal. You know, what's actually going on in this moment? And from that, you can make appropriate uh, decisions because that frontal area is actually really well developed to be able to do that. Um, So you've already been making lots and lots of decisions anyway, but just be aware that sometimes you can talk yourself into colluding with those uh, fight or flight responses because they they come first. So one of the decisions definitely make is to listen to the mental cleanse mm-hmm. which is on the on the podcast site which was done by luigi very grateful for that and that that'll hopefully um do a bit of um rewiring was that fair does it rewire yeah. a bit just what one thing on that is that mm. um you know mental cleanse essentially is designed to create within yourself that sense of safety right and right when we have a very well-grooved channel towards perceiving negative things in the environment, then Uh it can take a while to create another groove that goes into the positive aspects. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. if something doesn't work for you immediately, stick with it, Mm -hmm. stick with it because you're rewiring your brain. And that's actually, you know, maybe more of the take home message, which is your brain is, is what's called neuroplastic. Yeah, so even yeah. though you're shaped in a particular way right now with your brain configuration, your brain is a learning device. And I said it was a prediction device, but one of the main things that it does is it says, do I reinforce a network or do I let that go and use uh, the energy elsewhere? So if you stop feeding mm-hmm. uh, a particular channel, that's going to feel stressful. But maybe if you reduce some of the flow to that and redirect that in a new direction, over time, that's going to create a groove that's going to take you out of that original space. And that that does happen. And neuroplasticity has been observed in people in their 80s. So you've got zero. Wow, that's amazing. Everybody's is, brain it, is changing. It, it's all to do with frequency rather than quantity. Mm-hmm. So certainly mm-hmm. if you're looking at, you know, a house that's full or a room that's full or a cupboard that's full or a drawer that's full, just doing 10 minutes or even one minute if you can't manage 10, but every day, then that is the, the, the frequency thing that starts to grow these new pathways as opposed to doing it every so often 
it's always starting afresh if you do it every so often. And if you think, oh, well, I can't finish it today, that's why you do really little bits. Yeah, absolutely. It gets under the radar of your nervous system sort of thing, doesn't it? Or reassures it that that little bit was safe and that next little bit is okay. And that's how you grow. You'll you'll create a a habit. uh, A series of kids' books about Brian the Brain, fairy tales about Brian the Brain. You know what you have to do, Luigi? You know what you have to do? I was going to, I was going right to say, here. I think you volunteered yourself there, David, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got the vision. You know, I'm all for he's it. Got I'll back vision. you up all the way. And yeah. he's mm. got the story shed as well. So yeah, um, David's oh, got well. a story shed that he, he spent a yeah. lot of time in in lockdown dressed as a wizard and all sorts of other things. That was me. I was just as me. Yeah. You can be a wizard. Dress for how you want to be, right? You know, show yeah. how you want to show up yeah. in the world. No problem at all. Yeah. Father Christmas. Mm. Right then. Yeah. Well, Luigi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's gone very, very quickly. It's been a great pleasure for us as well. So thanks very much. And uh, I shall see you soon. Thank you.